Hey guys, thank you for joining me and a very big welcome to the Holy Shed, a place where all are welcome and no one is ever turned away. It's great to have you here. And you'll remember that last week I was explaining that tomorrow me and my Pat are off to Australia to visit our son Paul and his family, which means that this weekend is uh, pretty, pretty, pretty hectic. Uh, but I did want to fit this in to have a little bit of time to get together with you. As I said last week, I will be shedding from down under. Uh, I'm not sure how that'll work, uh, when I'll be able to film and post, but I'll keep you in the loop on Facebook and the Holy Shed Facebook page and so on. And I really look forward to that, to uh, spending some time with you down there in kangaroo land. And um, just one other thing before I launch into what I want to say today, through the efforts and support of a very dear friend, some of my books are being translated, some of them are translated into other languages. At present, we have Spanish versions of Black Sheep and Prodigals and How to Be a Bad Christian. Both are available already on Amazon, but also at the shop uh, on my Ko-fi page. Um, the Bad Christians Manifesto is already translated into Spanish and will be uh, released soon. And uh, so if you have friends or contacts in Spain or South America or the US or wherever who might benefit from these books or, or who can help to get the message out into Spanish speaking communities, I'd really appreciate you helping helping me with this uh, by obviously getting the word out to those people that you know and give me any other ideas about what I could do. Um, the books are already being translated into German as well. That's happening even as we speak and probably there will be other languages following on and I'll keep you informed about all of that. It's very, very exciting. And one other thing, uh, if you missed Soul Space last Wednesday, all about beautiful resistance, um, there was a recording made of it and that is now available at my YouTube channel, so um, you might want to go there and enjoy that. It was a great time. Some wonderful music and stories and stuff uh, all mixed in there. Anyway, look, I've got a plane to catch, so let's just push on, shall we? Last time in the shed, I responded to our friend Angie's question about the statement in John 14, which has Jesus saying, if in my name you ask for anything, I will do it for you which, you know, taken at face value can pretty much do your head in, you know, if uh, you're the sort of person who's got no truck with simplistic ideas and explanations about prayer. You know, they just go away and pray in the name of Jesus and bingo, it'll all happen. Uh, for those of us who can't be doing with that, this seems to be a very black and white and difficult statement. So I spent most of the last session not addressing the question directly, but placing it in the context of how I interpret and understand John's gospel as a whole, which is as the mystical gospel. And the final discourse, as it's called, uh, which runs between chapter 13 and 17, uh, which is where Jesus um, includes that, where that statement is included about asking in my name. Uh, I think that whole section of John focuses particularly on the mystical relationship between Jesus and the Father as he speaks of God and uh, and how his disciples were to be a part of that. Um, I mean, the defining statement, I guess, is in chapter 14, verse 20, where Jesus says, I am in the Father and the Father's in me and I am in you. I also talked 
last time about the cosmic Christ in John's Gospel and also in other parts of the New Testament. But I only kind of intimated stuff about it and I know some of you would like to hear more about that. So we will we will come to it at some later point. But setting all of this stuff aside today, I do want to come back and say something more specifically about prayer and hopefully address what lies behind Angie's question. And I'd like to begin by stressing how important prayer is to me. I pray all the time. Um, you know, I spent 19 very happy years at St Luke's in North London trying to create liturgies and prayers that, you know, would be comfortable to a progressively minded community of people. Um, I often pray for loved ones and for folk I'm requested to pray for. I join millions regularly in praying uh, about the challenges facing our world. Sometimes my prayers are verbal. Sometimes I use symbols like candles and um, stones and icons and things. Often I meditate uh, or simply gaze, which is a form of meditation, I think. Um, sometimes it's silence, silent contemplation. But whichever way, prayer is a very important part of my life. But here's the point. Why pray? I mean, do I think that it makes any difference to me or to the people I pray for uh, or for the world in general? And if so, what kind of difference and how might that work? I mean, these are big questions, of course, but the huge issue in any consideration of prayer, I think, is the very nature of God. What kind of God do we believe in and what is the nature of God's relationship with the world? I wrote a chapter on this in Black Sheep and Prodigals, chapter 7, which I entitled, I don't believe in an interventionist God, but that doesn't mean I don't believe in miracles. Which may sound like a contradiction right there, yeah? But actually, no. Because what I'm saying is that wonderful, incredible, mysterious, seemingly miraculous things do happen in the world. However, I don't think that is necessarily down to what's commonly referred to as divine intervention, much less uh, a cause and effect approach to prayer. You know, I pray and the Lord answers and that kind of, because we all know if we've prayed, it's a lot more complicated than that. So there are various reasons why I say I don't believe in an interventionist God, not least because it makes no sense to me at all uh, that God could intervene in the many horrific situations that occur in the world, but doesn't. You know, for example, in the Holocaust, or people starving, or by preventing mass death through disease, or a pandemic, or through war. You know, a God who could intervene in such situations, but seemingly refrains or refuses to do that, must, I think, surely face severe interrogation. The theologian Jürgen Moltmann, whose books are aligned on the shelf behind me, uh, Moltmann sa says that atheism is in fact a rejection of and a protest against that sort of God. And I completely get that. But I think the real thing for me is that the language of intervention immediately implies a God who is far away, a God who is outside of and separate from the world and the universe, but who enters it 
and intervenes occasionally at will, you know, or doesn't at will, which I personally cannot make any sense of or, or accept. I mean, that said, I equally cannot accept a God who simply gets everything, you know, up, uh, you know, sets it all up, winds up the clock of nature and natural laws, etc., and then clears off, puts his feet up and seemingly sits on his hands while people suffer. You know, uh, I think that you could say that the occasional intervening God and the inactive observer God both basically leave us with a dispassionate, inscrutable, transcendent God who I frankly would want to scream at in protest. But this is absolutely not the God I see revealed in Jesus Christ or indeed the God that I know in my experience and love. As I argue all the time in the shed and elsewhere, I believe that God is radically imminent, that is, radically embedded in everything that is, in the very fibre of the universe, included uh, in that God is embedded in the sufferings of the world and indeed of all creation, I believe. There isn't a single cry of anguish in the world that God does not participate in. So instead of an interventionist God, I believe in a relational God, an interactional God, a God who does influence events, but who influences events through the power of love, not through coercive control. Uh, but what does that mean? You know, what, what does divine interaction look like? Well, I'm a big fan of the theologian Catherine Keller. She's what's called a process theologian. And uh, I am very, very inclined toward what's called process theology. But um, we'll talk about that another day. But Catherine Keller speaks of divine power as, quote, the energy of influence. I like that, the energy of influence. I find that very helpful. God's power is not the power of dominance and control. God isn't all-powerful in the sense that someone like Vladimir Putin appears to wish to be. You know, someone who wants to make everyone and everything conform to his will and purpose. I can't believe in that sort of God. Catherine Keller says God is omni-love, omni-amorous. In other words, all-loving. God's power is the power of love, a power that empowers rather than overpowers. God, she says, is called upon not as a unilateral superpower, but as a relational force. So what she's saying is that's kind of the domain where prayer is happening. Prayer isn't calling on a unilateral superpower, but rather calling on a God who is a relational force and presence within everything. And the thing about love is that it is inevitably vulnerable. You know, once we love, once we open ourselves up to the possibility of love, we immediately put ourselves in a place of vulnerability. Therefore, if God is all loving, then it goes without saying that God is also all vulnerable. 
um, which is perhaps what Paul's getting at in Corinthians when he says that God's power is made perfect in weakness and he's speaking about the cross of course um, and in his magnificent book The Crucified God which is somewhere here by Jürgen Moltmann The Crucified God Moltmann argues that the cross demands that we rethink the whole business of power that the cross is really um, a, a revisionist event about the very nature of power because the God revealed in the cross is not a God who overpowers is not a God who controls but one who participates in the world's suffering the crucified God um, who lifts and carries the world in and through suffering so back to prayer from all of that I see prayer as basically an aligning of our whole being with God's purpose of healing and liberation and restoration in the lives of people communities and ultimately the entire world God has a purpose of healing and liberation and restoration for our world and prayer is me aligning my whole being with that energy God inhabits interacts with and participates in the world as a force of goodness and healing and in some wonderful way we can be part of that helping to you know clear open away create channels for God's spirit God's energy to be released to work and we do this well through everything we do it through our actions yes we do it through our words we do it also through our prayers however we conceive prayer uh, Walter Wink another New Testament theologian who I often quote here Walter Wink describes prayer as spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised so that takes a little bit of uh, comprehending prayer is a, is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised and purposed prayer he says visualizes uh, an alternative future to the one apparently fated by the momentum of current events so you know things seem to be rolling down a certain road and Wink says the prayer visualizes something different visualizes an alternative to that prayer infuses the air of uh, a time yet to be into the suffocating atmosphere of the present well wow. he goes on to say the prayer is an act of co-creation in which one little sector of the universe which is where we are raises up rises up and becomes translucent incandescent a vibratory center of power that radiates the power of the universe which is love well that's quite a bit to take on board but it's, it's worth it's worth maybe listening to again and contemplating that so yes I pray I pray not because I think that prayer is a magic wand or any sort of guarantee that the things I ask for will happen I pray as an act of defiant imagination as an act of defiant imagination I pray because you know it feels like the right thing to do everything in my being is reaching out and calling for certain things to come into being in the world it's an attitude of heart uh, which absolutely changes me um, 
even if it changes nothing else. And yet I do believe that, that prayer changes things. Uh, and the question is, is how? Well, I don't know if there's any absolute answer to that, but in How to Be a Bad Christian, I talked about uh, something called the butterfly effect. <clears throat> now, this is the principle that a small change in one place can have a dramatic effect elsewhere. And it's an idea which, uh, it's a scientific idea, which began with a man called Edward Lorenz, who was a meteorologi meteorologist, who tried to explain in the early 1960s why it's so hard to make accurate predictions about the weather. And um, he realised that small differences in dynamic systems, such as the atmosphere, can trigger vast and often unsuspected results far away. So in 1972, he presented his findings in a paper <clears throat> which was rather fabulously entitled Predictability. Does the flap of a butterfly's wings in Brazil set off a tornado in Texas? Well, you know, I mean, even that very title, Lorenz's proposal, appeared preposterous. But in fact, his ideas were examined and shown to be completely accurate. The phrase butterfly effect refers to the idea that a butterfly's wings may create tiny, tiny changes in the atmosphere that set off a chain of events that can, for example, ultimately alter the path of a tornado or influence its speed or impact other weather patterns. And actually, if you think of it much more in terms of personal experience, this is true in our lives, isn't it? You know, how often you think back in your life and think, oh my goodness, if I hadn't done that, my entire life would have been different. You know, if I hadn't met Pat, who would I be? Certainly not as good a person as I am now, that's for sure. But, you know, tiny little events can have massive... So that's the principle behind the butterfly effect. And I believe this scientific notion of the butterfly effect gives encouragement that even the beating of my tiny butterfly wings, my butterfly acts and attitudes of defiance, my butterfly but resolute commitment of spirit to God's kingdom can help to bring about change in the world, especially when that's just part of when it's merging with other beatings of butterfly wings and the beating wings of God's spirit. Change, you know, may not be immediately visible, but that doesn't matter because, you know, there's time and I'm committed to these things anyway, whether or not I live to see change that I'm reaching out for and praying for. To be honest, I don't really understand very much at all about how prayer can have an effect on events and circumstances. But I suspect, and I, my big hunch is, that prayer <coughs> needs to be explored increasingly in the framework of things like the butterfly effect and quantum physics, which tells us that we live in a relational universe, that everything is entangled. That's the word that's used, entanglement theory, that everything is entangled within everything else, going right back to the Big Bang where it was all one to begin with. And I believe the energy, which I call God, the energy which became incarnate, became material in the Big Bang, and which invigorates and empowers the vast process 
of cosmic and biological evolution. This energy, this God, is part of the very framework of quantum entanglement. God is tangled up in all of this. The wonderful ecologist John Muir said, when we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it's hitched to everything else in the universe. Wow, that's radical interconnectedness. And that, dear friends, is now recognised as a scientific fact. And for me, that hitching of everything includes God, which is why I believe that prayer cannot be reduced to you know, our sectarian mode of expression. In the end, the work of pressing forward the energies of change and transformation, of incarnating love and goodness and justice and beauty in the world cannot simply be a Christian thing, right? It cannot simply be a Jewish or Muslim thing or any other religious thing. It incorporates the efforts and intentions, the alignment of all people who energetically align themselves and their lives with the life force that created the universe, God. Now, whether they use the word God, whether they believe in God, doesn't matter. Uh, these are words, you know, they're only words. What matters is where is the alignment of our spirit? And, uh, and I think that, you know, I am joined in, 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 in doing that with people of all faiths and none. So I'll finish with a very lovely quote from a guy called William Cleary who says this. He says, verbal prayers make sense if you know in advance that talking to God is like talking to your dog. <laughs> you say human words to your dog, but he pretty much ignores them in favour of how you smell. Similarly, he says, God hears your words of prayer, but very likely ignores all that you say in favour of the smell of your heart, your kindness, your compassion. I love that, don't you? I love that. But the words of your prayer, I think, uh, certainly matter to you. The words of my prayers matter to me because they give shape to our thoughts. They warm and give colour to our soul and spur us into focused listening and focused alignment with all that God is about and that God uh, wishes and wills for our world. So, um, yeah, I pray and I will pray. Uh, whether or not I understand the theory of that and uh, how it all works is very much secondary to the fact that praying is something that just comes from my gut down here. It's something that I kind of feel I must do, whether it's in words or actions or symbols or just simply in silent uh, determination, uh, defiant imagination. All of this, I think, is what prayer is about. So I'm going to use the same prayer today that I did last week because it's still very pertinent to what we're thinking about. So let's pray. Great energy of the universe, who we call God, the one who fired up the Big Bang 14 billion years ago, who fuels the curious adventure of cosmic and biological evolution, whose wisdom cradles star systems into existence and extinction. We cannot possibly fathom the mystery 
of our infinitesimal lives, let alone the future of the universe. But we pray. We pray for divine wisdom in the way that we live our days, in our relationship to the teeming millions of species and creatures who are our earthly family, in what we are blessed to be able to contribute toward the future of this precious planet, our home. May we know that each flap of our butterfly wings changes history in some way for someone somewhere. May we know that what we do to Earth and its creatures, we do to you. May we know our place in the circle. May we know that we belong. Amen. Well, I think that we should certainly, before I fly off into the sweet blue sky, we should have a little toast to these things. So if you have a drink handy, please join me now in a toast, a toast to a gloriously entangled world, a world and a universe of utter radical relatedness. A toast to a God who is entangled in this messy, mixed up, sometimes screwed up world that we live in, who brings light and life and healing to broken lives. Dear friends, to life, Lachaim. Well, I think that's just about it. I've got to finally kind of wrap up my case, really. Um, but if you like what I'm doing here in the shed and you'd like to support us, then you can do so by going to the coffee site here. that's following this link. Somebody's ringing the doorbell, by the way. That's what that is that's going on. Uh, and uh, buy us a coffee or two. Um, I think that the link is also now reinstated at the top of the posts on the Holy Shed Facebook page. My daughter Lizzie assures me of that anyway because she has fixed it. So thank you so much for all the love and support that you give to us, which, you know, certainly sustains me to carry on uh, doing what I'm, what I'm doing here. So uh, that's all very wonderful. So in just a moment, I'm going to share with you a video to close. It's a, a music video that I used at the end of Soul Space last Wednesday. Um, it's a song by a fabulous singer and musician called Yale Dechelbaum. She is a Canadian Israeli and um, she is a fabulous singer. I mean, a wonderful musician. But she's also someone with this huge commitment of soul and heart to a future without conflict and war in our world. So she's done a lot of work of bringing together, especially working with mothers and women in Israel and in Palestine, uh, to stand together and say to, you know, the people who are controlling that region, you know, uh, we will not stand for this. Uh, so she's, she's an amazing woman. And by the way, she will be singing at Greenbelt this coming year. So, hey, that's one very good reason to be there. Uh, so this is a song called War Is Not A Woman's Game and she's kind of summoning up really the, the feminine spirit, not just in women, but, but you know the feminine spirit in general, which is the spirit that gives life and sustains life in the world to say, let us put aside death and bring life. And um, 
she's with a bunch of women and men actually uh, as she sings this and all I can say is it kind of makes me think of if that was what church was like I would definitely be there and I think there'd be a lot of others there too so I hope you enjoy that video meanwhile dear friends thank you for being with me today I'll see you in Australia hey <laughs> and so meanwhile have a great week uh, hey there's a lot of crap going on out there in our world be kind to the world be kind to people be kind most of all to yourselves stay human and I'll see you very soon and uh, just enjoy this <laughs> You are not alone. Women of Palestine, you are not. 